We're doing a special version of the DLI Lingo podcast. This December is the 30th anniversary of a little-known historical event in Romania. Well, at least it's little-known in the U.S. anyway. By December of 1989, the Eastern Bloc had seen a cascade of regimes crumble. The first Poland, then East Germany, Bulgaria, then Czechoslovakia. The majority of Romania was unaware of any of that, thanks to the heavily censored, very limited state-sponsored television channel that was allowed in the country. They were, however, about to have their own revolution, but not without hundreds of lives sacrificed, to include their own leader. On December 25, 1989, Nicolae Ceausescu, the president of Communist Romania, and his wife Elena were executed by firing squad. Of all the revolutions that swept Eastern Europe late last year, only Romania's led to massive bloodshed. It was an incredibly fast uprising, happening in less than two weeks. Of course, the difficulties the Romanians suffered under Ceausescu had been building for years. Branko Marinovic, a foreign area officer trained at DLI, was assigned to Romania the summer before the turmoil began. Like somebody had asked me earlier, uh, was this a surprise? Yes, it was. At least everybody in the embassy was totally surprised. It all started December 16th in Temishwara. An anti-government crowd had gathered to rally behind a priest who was about to get deported because of his sermons critical of Ceausescu. The Washington Post called Temishwara the first decisive moment in the Romanian Revolution. The protest started as a way to protect the priest, but as the day wore on, it became a protest against the Romanian government's extreme austerity and repression. The communist regime under Ceausescu had become totalitarian. It was one of the most repressive regimes in the Eastern Bloc at that time. Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev once described it as a horse being whipped and driven by a cruel rider. Uh, life in Romania, for the Romanian people, was dire. They worked the year round, except for they got a day off on New Year's. In most cases, both the husbands and wives worked. In other words, everybody worked. He also demanded that families have at least five children. And the women were checked regularly that they weren't cheating. Now, if you have five children, see, he wanted to build up the Roman Empire again. And, you know, his head was this big. What happens to the kids? Well, the kids are sent to daycare centers and a lot of orphanages. And there you have the horror pictures of these little kids being not mistreated as much as the absence of parents to hold them and, and feed them and that kind of stuff. It, it was kind of a, a system of mass daycare. To make matters worse, through the late 70s and 80s to pay off debts, Ceausescu exported most of the country's production, and that included agricultural and industrial things. This meant not just food shortages, but also things for everyday living, things like clothing and electricity and healthcare, basic necessities. Rationing began in the 80s and lasted for years. They had to stand in line for everything. And since Ceausescu um, exported everything out of the country to get hard currency, then there wasn't that much left for the Romanian people. 
the heat and lights were turned off early evening and didn't come back on till the morning. Um, like I said, the food was very seasonable, seasonal and uh, in short supply. He uh, bulldozed uh, a real historic part of old Bucharest uh, to build something like the Champs-Élysées in, uh, in Paris, uh, only bigger and, and better. So what he left for the uh, Romanian people was stuff that didn't do well on the export market. So in the case of chickens, uh, most they could get, you go to the meat market and get chicken feet. But and it's not just the claws, but you know, little chicken feet up to wherever. And so uh, the Romanians gave the chicken feet the name of, rather than say, I want chicken feet, they'll say, I want some patriots. And the reason they called them patriots is because uh, the chicken, the, every, the rest of the chicken left Romania, but the feet stayed in Romania, a steadfast Romania. That's what I admire so much on the Romanian people is during the bleakest times, they, they still had a little sense of humor. On top of all that was the violence and fear that blanketed the country. The repression was brought on by Ceausescu's personal army called the Securitate. The Securitate was uh, Ceausescu's secret police, but they were more than just secret police. They were almost like his secret army because they were well armed. They were the ones that kept the population in line. Phones were tapped, conversations were overheard. They even, at their headquarters, they had these big banks where they could tap phones and listen to conversations. The three or four of us in this room, we couldn't tell if there was a Securitate agent or not. Uh, and they had different levels. They had the professionals and they had the ones that that were either bribed or were paid to report on you and I. And so that's, that was a securitate. And they're the ones that did all the killing, and not the army. The army quickly turned to the people, mostly a conscript force, but even at the officer level, at least up to the middle officer level, they switched quickly uh, and supported the uh, protesters. Awana Lungescu, a writer for the BBC, wrote in an article in The Independent that when she grew up in Romania, the belief was that one in ten people were informers for the Securitate. It was later discovered in the Securitate's own records that the number was more like one in 30. That, she said, was testament to the power and fear they wielded over the Romanian people. No one felt safe speaking their own minds. which takes us back to December 16, 1989, in Temeswara. Temeswara was not only very close to the Hungarian and Yugoslavian border, it was also a university town. While the rest of Romania was listening to the national radio proclaim the greatness of Ceausescu, Temeswara was watching uncensored newscasts from neighboring countries. They knew when the Berlin Wall fell. So when word spread that there was a protest, the people, mostly university students, were more than willing to stand their ground. (laughs) 
The first of the violence began Saturday night, December 16th, and lasted for days. The brutal violence, especially in those days, led by the Securitate and the army, was suddenly laid bare to the rest of the world. Stirred up, Branco says, by propaganda from the U.S. During the Cold War, the U.S. had set up a Radio Free Europe was the big name, but they did this all over the world. And what they would do is uh, have music, programming. Actualitatea românească. La microfon, Nicolae Constantin Munteanu. Uh, and basically it was a propaganda tool to destabilize the Soviet regimes and the Soviet-controlled countries. So in this case, in the case of Romania, I don't know how the newsfeed or whatever it got back to them and they broadcast it in Romania with uh, gunshots, yelling and screaming, uh, you know, the sound like a war film. And then they uh, exaggerated, somebody exaggerated the casualties. So 70,000 students were massacred in the central uh, by the Securitate. And later find out it might have been 50, 60, but everybody exploded the numbers. But that was used, they heard that in Bucharest and other parts of Romania. And that's, that's what really sparked up to let's help our brothers in Timisoara. So that play, that Radio Free Europe had a, I think a massive effect in, uh, in energizing uh, the rest of uh, Romania. Hoping to calm the massive unrest, on December 21st, Ceausescu gave a speech to a crowd of roughly 100,000 people. Within the first few minutes, the people began to jeer and boo. This was unthinkable for Ceausescu. He'd used his brutal totalitarian regime to keep people in line to his way of rule. The speech was broadcast live, which meant that despite the efforts of the censors, evidence of just how deep the unrest went was now out in the open. It was on December 22nd, the day after Ceausescu's first speech, that he attempted one more speech, this time from his office building in the heart of Bucharest. When that failed to calm the angry crowds, Ceausescu and his wife fled by helicopter to escape the mob that had stormed the building. With the armed forces apparently turned against them and the people unwilling to help, their pre-planned escape was unexpectedly thwarted and the Ceausescus were captured. Then they kept them in a uh, garrison and they kept him uh, uh, since uh, the military and the protesters were afraid that there's going to be a massive counterattack by the Securitate. So they kept them in secret, and they also kept them in a, um, a armored, armored personnel carrier. And that ended, 
ended to be the real smart thing to do because he kept looking at his watch. And they found out later that he had a tracking device in his uh, watch and that would alert the Securitate to come get him. But by keeping him moved around in an armored vehicle, the, the watch didn't work. By the time of Ceausescu's capture, Bucharest was full-scale crazy. As a fail, part of Branco's job was to gather information. So that's what he did. And then at, uh, on the 23rd, 4th, uh, 24th particularly, with 23rd and 24th, it, it, there was tanks in the streets, there were dead bodies around, firing everywhere. I had my staff car, and I had an American flag, a little American flag I put on the antenna because I felt like the Americans were still looked as the good guys by all the protesters for sure, because they knew what side we were on. The only danger was if one of the Ceausescu security forces, the Securitate, if they saw me, there was a danger they were going to wipe me out. But I took that chance, and in my staff car, my driver and I, we went around and just eyed to eye to find out what was going on, because it was so confusing. And right in the central square of Bucharest, uh, we were headed that way, and some of these protesters stopped the car and uh, asked me to roll down the window, and they said, we've got two wounded uh, people. Uh, we, want to, we want you to transport them to the hospital. So I said, sure. So we opened the door, and before they got to the car, they both had died. So that, you know, those are the things kind of stay in your mind. On the morning of December 25th, 1989, the newly formed council held a trial that lasted barely an hour. And even during, and then later, he went to trial, and it was a mock trial. They had found him guilty. Uh, he refused to uh, acknowledge the legitimacy of, of the trial. I asked Branco why he thought the Securitate hadn't rescued Ceausescu at any point. Well, good question. I don't know for sure. My guess is uh, was that everything was moving so fast and they underestimated what was going on. I think they were as confused as everybody else on what was going on. Shortly after the trial, both Ceausescu's were executed by firing squad. I guess a couple hours later, they lined him against the wall, asked for volunteers, everybody volunteered. They took two, three, four of them and just <laughs> shot him against the wall. That year, for the first time in decades, Romanians celebrated Christmas out in the open. Long term, though, while the death of the Ceausescu's completely altered Romania's course, reform did not happen overnight. In the 30 years since the dictator's death, so many things have changed, while others have not. The government slowly, slowly has moved to align with the West. In 2004, 
they joined NATO, and then in 2007, they joined the European Union. Milan Kundera, an influential Czech writer, wrote, The struggle of man against power is the struggle of memory against forgetting. There's a plaque outside what was once a prison and is now a memorial in Romania. It warns, communism's great victory was the creation of a people without memory. <laughs>